ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Good morning and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm David Lyman. And I'm Jan Walker. On Sunday, October 22nd, Southern Indiana environmentalists opposing the Indiana DNR's proposed logging of the forest backcountry area gathered for a community hike along the logging target areas. Participants followed a five-mile length of the Tecumseh Trail to view and document both logged and unlogged portions of the trail. The hike was co-organized by a local chapter of the Sierra Club and the lesser-known Mind the Gap advocacy group, whose representative, Dave Simcox, joined us on an eco-report earlier this fall. Mind the Gap, whose name refers to the Low Gap State Wild Area, does not take an anti-logging position. Rather, they oppose the destruction of areas designated for protection into perpetuity by Indiana state law. Members of both groups have also been working on postcard and letter-writing campaigns and meeting with public officials since news of the logging plan was released. The city of Bloomington is replacing water mains across town, causing disruptions in water services. City of Bloomington Utilities Director Adam Wason says many of the water mains, the underground pipes that provide water throughout the city, are over 100 years old. The replacement project is expected to cost the city about $1.8 million. Vice President Mike Pence visited Brown County State Park this past weekend. The vice president was in Brown County for a family celebration of his son, Mike Pence Jr.'s wedding. Mike Pence Jr., a Marine Corps airman, was married just before his father's inauguration in January of this year. The exact nature of the ceremony was unclear. Pence landed in Air Force Two at the Columbus Airport on Friday. Flights in and out of the airport were redirected, and the airspace was limited over the weekend. Certain areas of Brown County State Park were restricted during Pence's visit. Fall is often the park's busiest time of the year, and millions of tourists visit Brown County annually to watch the change of seasons. The Washington Examiner, a conservative tabloid, used Pence's visit to attack local Democrats, including former MCCSC school board member Sue Wensner. Wensner made a statement on social media last week warning of restrictions at the park due to the vice president's visit. The Examiner, based in Washington, D.C., ran a headline against Wensner that stated, quote, Democrat attacks very private wedding of Pence's Marine son, unquote. All areas of Brown County State Park were open on Monday. Governor Eric Holcomb has signed an executive order detailing steps to allocate funds for Indiana's 440.9 million portion of the Volkswagen Environmental Mitigation Trust Fund. The trust fund was formed after a settlement between the Department of Justice and Volkswagen for its violations of the Clean Air Act. 
The order also establishes the Indiana Volkswagen Environmental Mitigation Trust Fund Committee and places the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, or IDEM, as the lead administrative agency for the trust fund. The 11-person trust fund committee will be made up of representatives from both the public and private sector. The trust fund will be used to help offset pollution emitted by vehicles that violated the Clean Air Act. Currently, the committee is looking at replacing diesel-powered machines with more energy-efficient alternatives. The committee will be responsible for establishing procedures to distribute funds and will work with IDEM to create a long-term plan for fund distribution. The plan will be subject to Indiana's open-door law and can be viewed by the public for comments or objections. IDEM is also working asking Indiana residents to weigh in on how they would like the funds to be distributed. For more information on the settlement and to view an early version of the draft framework for the plan, listeners can visit in.gov slash IDEM slash VW Trust. An Indiana law may throw a wrench into the Bloomington Parks and Recreation Department's plan to cull deer populations at the Griffey Lake Nature Preserve. The Nature Preserve, north of Bloomington, has experienced what experts are calling extreme pressure on native vegetation due to growing deer populations. Cull plans in the Griffey area have been in the works since 2014, going so far as to contract White Buffalo Incorporated, a hunting firm, to shoot deer. Plans to curtail whitetail populations were abandoned in February of 2015 after an abundant acorn crop reportedly ruined hunters' chances. But hopes for a cull in the area was rekindled this spring. At that time, vegetation specialists recommended the department conduct a cull in order to preserve the indigenous plant life. But when the Indiana legislature passed House Enrolled Act 1415 in April, they inadvertently prohibited the use of rifles on public land. The Enrolled Act was meant to clarify what high-powered rifle rounds were allowed on private land, but instead prohibited rifles on public lands altogether. That prohibition is causing the Indiana Department of Natural Resources headaches, with deer hunting season approaching this winter. An effort to save Indiana's waterways is underway as part of a push by the National Wildlife Federation to combat negative impacts under budget cuts proposed by the Trump administration. The Federation is conducting a campaign to educate people about what decreases in funding for habitat, wildlife, and water programs could mean for the state. According to the Federation, Indiana waterways are at risk with the repeal of the Clean Water Act. The Federation says that cuts the administration is proposing would affect drinking water for nearly 700,000 Hoosiers. The Indiana Wildlife Federation is holding public events to motivate residents to help protect the environment and to educate them on ways they can prevent drastic budget cuts. The Federation says the Obama administration made headway to protect drinking water, but many Indiana lakes and rivers are still not safe for swimming or fishing. Rolling back the Clean Water Act will impede future projects. We've regularly reported on decisions made by new EPA head Scott Pruitt. Ever since Scott Pruitt took the helm of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, he has worked to undo decades of hard-fought climate protections and even to remove mentions of the term climate change from agency websites. 
On October 23rd, the agency canceled the speaking appearances of three of its scientists to discuss the topic at a conference in Rhode Island, highlighting what the New York Times called, quote, widespread concern that the EPA will silence scientists from speaking publicly on climate change, end quote. EPA research ecologist Autumn Moskowski, EPA postdoctoral fellow Rose Martin, and EPA consultant Emily Shumshinia were scheduled to speak at the state of Narragansett Bay and Watershed, a conference timed with the release of a 400-page report on the state of the watershed and estuary. Oskowski was due to give the keynote speech. Martin and Shushimia were due to speak on panel about biological implications of climate change. The scientists also contributed substantial material to the report, which features findings on how climate change affects the area's air and water temperatures, precipitation, sea level, and fish. Tom Borden, program director for the Narragansett Bay Estuary Program, confirmed that the EPA canceled the appearances and said that no other agency staff or affiliates will speak at the event. Narragansett Bay is a bay and estuary on the north side of Rhode Island Sound, forming New England's largest estuary and functioning as an expansive natural harbor. Historically, it has served as an important nursery for creatures heading to Long Island Sound and the Northwest Atlantic. Long Island Sound is no longer home to a viable number of lobsters and codfish. For WFHB, I'm David Lyman. And I'm Jan Walker. We love to hear from our listeners. Contact us about stories we've aired, or if you have ideas for future stories, please send emails to earth at wfhb.org. hike and today I am here at the TC Steel grounds and I am talking with a lady who is going to tell us about the trails on the property as well as the guided tour. Hi um, I'm Andrea Tarnowski and I'm the property manager at TC Steel State Historic Site and although we are part of the state museum system we're right here in Brown County well, we're almost exactly halfway between Nashville and Bloomington, about a mile and a half south of State Road 46. So we're pretty easy to find. And once you get here, just check in at the office and uh, go exploring. One of my favorite uh, features of the grounds are the frog ponds. I'm an amateur photographer, and I like to come out here, and I can almost always get pictures of frogs. And we're the only one of the state historic sites to be focused on an artist. And in this case, an artist who was here because he loved the natural beauty of Brown County. Uh, T.C. Steele was the famous artist, but Mrs. Steele, who was also an artist in her own right, um, was a lover of the outdoors. And she laid out four out of our five hiking trails here. We have the same 211 acres that the Steeles had. So... Uh, five hiking trails here on the property, and we also include a 92-acre state-designated nature preserve. So there's a lot to just get out and explore and enjoy. Andrea, are there always in need of volunteers out here for the trails or for the grounds? And I've noticed the grounds have had some changes. Absolutely. We're in the midst of a major garden restoration project 
the gardens were really Mrs. Steele's creative outlet, but she wanted a good combination of natural garden effect uh, as well as more structured gardens, and we've got a lot going on. The ponds that you were commenting on, in fact, were worked on quite a bit this year. There's still a lot to do, though, so we're always looking for volunteers. And with 211 acres to care for and up to three miles of trails, we're also always looking for volunteers to help out with trail maintenance. And what are the hours of operation? We're open Tuesday through Saturday, 9 to 5, and Sunday from 1 to 5. Now, we're closed on Mondays and most holidays, but visitors are free to park outside the gates on those days. Um, now, if you want to enjoy them, they do go down into the ravines and back up and uh, explore that rugged territory that insi inspired the artist's uh, best-known landscape paintings. We do have an easy access trail, too, though, and uh, that even has its own pull-off area, so even when we're closed and the gates are keeping cars from coming in, you can park there and explore to your heart's leisure. In today's Eco Report feature, correspondent Norm Holy interviews Chris Kraft, professional wetland scientist based in the Indiana University School of Public and Environmental Affairs. This is Norm Holy for WFHB, and today I'm interviewing Dr. Chris Kraft. He's in SPIA at IU, and he's going to describe for us how he uses bean blossom bottoms as a classroom. I teach two courses regularly at IU. I teach a wetlands ecology class in the fall and a restoration ecology class in the spring. And our wetlands class uses bean blossom bottoms extensively and we have for probably the past 10 to 15 years. It's an ideal site. It's probably one of the most intact, highest quality um, wetlands in this part of the state, maybe in most of southern Indiana. But bean blossom is um, sort of moderate growth forested wetland. We go out there. I teach um, students about identifying wetland plant species the presence of wetland or hydric soils. These are soil properties. Wetland soils have characteristics that are just uniquely different from terrestrial soils. And of course, water is what makes wetlands. Without water, you don't get the soils in the, the hydrophytic or the wetland vegetation. And so we look for sort of um, circumstantial evidence or smoking gun indicators of the presence of water because a, a wetland does not have to have water all year. And in fact, a lot of these sites, much of the year, they're dry. So you look for that sort of smoking gun. For example, water marks on trees, crayfish burrows are a good indicator, you know, that the soils are saturated at certain times of the year. We, um, we just were there last week where the class performed as a group a, an assessment of the quality of the wetlands on the site. And Bean blossom's nice in that it's large, it's high quality, and there's a mixture of wetland vegetation. You have forested areas, you have marshy areas, and so the class, so they're comparing sort of the quality of the marsh part of bean blossom versus the forested part. And then in December, when we might have uh, ice in the wetland, 
uh, we go out again and we do what's called a, a hydrogeomorphic approach to assessing wetland functions. And this is something that the Army Corps of Engineers uses to sort of evaluate different types of wetlands for what sort of functions that benefit um, people that they would provide. And, you know, some of these functions include floodwater storage, sediment trapping, water quality improvement, biodiversity, habitat, things like that. And in that particular exercise, we'll compare this older, more mature forested wetland at Bean Blossom with one of the old fields that has revegetated in the past 20 years. It was a field probably about 20 to 25 years ago, a cultivated, probably a cornfield. And when the Sycamore Land Trust acquired the property, of course, they stopped cultivation and started to restore it or to let nature restore it. And so the, we call it a restoration site, but the trees are about 20 years old. So it allows us to sort of compare a young, a grading wetland forest of the equivalent of a, of a restoration project that's been around for 20 years with a mature system, which is what you're really aiming for. But as you know, Norm, it takes time um, to create a mature forest. You can add water, but it's going to take a little bit more time. Yeah, I, I'm curious, what are the what would be the age of the oldest trees in that area? Well, I'm probably not the best person to ask, although my guess is they're probably about 60 years old on the mature stand. Um, so it's still got another 40 years of, uh, of maturing. But as you know, living in the, the, the Midwest, uh, the landscape has been dramatically altered over the past couple centuries, and to, to find a place like this is really nice. It's, my guess is the forest has been cut two times since um, since it was virgin forest, you know, 150, 180 years ago. I'm just curious about the the eagle's nest out there. Is that in them? Because eagles, my understanding is that eagles really prefer a mature tree in which to build their nest. Well, these are pretty, you know, for this part of Indiana, these are some of the biggest trees you're going to find. But But I think what attracts... You find eagles along waterways. They a lot of their food comes from catching aquatic organisms, fish and things like that. So I think part of it is there may be larger, more mature trees at a place like Morgan Monroe Forest or Yellowwood, but they, pro they probably don't have the water and the food that this area bean blossom has. The the beavers have gotten into this site over the past 10 or 12 years and have dammed up um, some of the waterways. And so bean blossom holds a lot more water now than it used to. And, of course, that's great for, for the birders and the birds, but I also think it's providing more food for the eagles. I mean, do you have an idea how many beaver there are in that, in that area? Because I was not aware of any of beaver activity there. Well, you know, I haven't seen them, but over the past 10 or 12 years, the the place, there's there's definitely beaver dams in those ditches because there's ponds forming. The water's being held back, and a lot of the trees are dying. Um, and But that may be a good thing because it creates snags um, that will provide habitat for cavity nesters, good for woodpeckers and I'm not sure where where the if the beaver if the eagle nest is in a live tree or in one of these snags. And to be honest, to go out and find that beaver dam, you better put on some chest waders because I think the water's about six feet deep. Are there wood ducks in there? Because I know they like trees 
you know, with hollows in them. I haven't seen them, but this would be ideal habitat for them. And a good time to look would probably be this winter. I would say wintertime visit to there would be a good time to see something like wood ducks because, you know, the leaves are off the trees and you'll be able to see a bit further. But like I said, in 15 years of taking a class out there, there's a lot more surface water in that area than there was then. And I'm I have not seen the beavers, but I would wager you a small bet that that's what's holding the water back. I assume nobody is trapping that area. I assume it's illegal. Well, I think I think so, and I think actually one of my students um, visited Bean Blossom with another class this year, just a week or so ago, and I asked him to. They had a Sycamore Land Trust person out there, and I said, ask them about the beavers. And what they, if they have any sort of management plans. And um, at this point, at least what the student conveyed to me was, is Sycamore Land Trust doesn't have any plans to manage the beavers. And in some ways, they like it because they said it's in, it's increasing the bird habitat. But they also are. I asked him to also inquire about management activities out there because um, I know they do a little bit of spraying for invasive species for reed canary grass. But I think other than that, and, and this is what the student told me, he said, other than that, they're not really managing the property, but they realize that they need to start thinking about that. I see. I mean, you know, the thing about a natural area is you don't want to manage it too much. <laughs> right. Are you an environmental activist, an expert on a particular issue of environmental concern? A concerned citizen interested in learning more about local and national environmental issues? EcoReport is seeking volunteer reporters to contribute short headline news stories as well as feature interviews. We provide all the technical training you'll need. For more information, email us at earth at wfhb.org or call 812-323-1200. And it's time now for In Nature, a segment focusing on the flora and fauna of south-central Indiana. This is In Nature. Chipmunks are common mammals found here in Bloomington. However, a computer search reveals more about humans than the chipmunk. More entries were how to get rid of them than those providing species information. Chipmunks choose their den sites carefully and return to them year after year. They are considered a true hibernator, since breathing, temperature, and heart rate go down significantly. They create a nesting area below the frost line where they sleep in a ball with their tails curled around them. If found when hibernating, they cannot be immediately roused, but require some time for their bodily processes to rise from this low point. In the fall, they spend significant time collecting seeds and storing them away separately from their sleeping area. They will eat from time to time from this winter stock and thus continue to metabolize. Another area must be provided in the borough where they deposit these products of metabolism without contaminating their food and sleeping areas. They emerge from their burrows during unseasonably warm weather in the winter and eventually return to full behavior in the spring. You've been listening to In Nature. And now for our weekly community events calendar. On Friday, October 27th, the Bloomington Community Bike Project is hosting a night ride. The ride will start at 7.45 p.m. at the corner of the Beeline Trail and 7th Street. The project will supply free lights for community members to mount and keep starting at 5 p.m. 
The goal of the night ride is to introduce bike riders and the community to nighttime bicycle safety and to continue the project's advocacy of biking culture and biking, bicycle recycling in Bloomington. The Wiley House Museum will be hosting a seed-saving extravaganza on October 28th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. The event will have many activities as well as providing information on seed collection and storage. The event will have refreshments and is free to attend. The museum is located at the corner of 2nd Street and Lincoln Avenue. Also this Saturday, Sobremesa Organic Farm will be hosting an art and music event from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Sobremesa is a stop on the Monroe County Barn Tour and will be offering refreshments and fresh vegetables for sale to tour participants and the public. They will also host local artists and musicians, including British-American artist Jeff Danielson, Runcible Spoon founder and avid nature photographer. Come to have some weekend fun on the farm. Several area parks are hosting Halloween-themed activities this Saturday evening. McCormick's Creek State Park will start its Halloween festival this Friday, October 27th, with a live animal presentation from 7 to 8.30 p.m. The event will showcase owls, raptors, and vulture. The presentation is, lo- is hosted in the Canyon Inn's Oak Room. And Paintown Recreation Area at Monroe Lake will start themed activities at 3 p.m. They will include an acorn skulls craft, scarecrow trick-or-treat times, and ghoulish ghost stories. Visit their Facebook page for details or call 812 812- And finally, this Monday, October the 30th, Monroe Lake is hosting their monthly Lunch with Nature series, with this month's topic being the tree squirrels of Indiana. Bring a sack lunch to munch on during the presentation and stick around after for a hiking activity that highlights the everyday treetop lives of gray and fox squirrels. Sign up for the event online at in.gov. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812 334 4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's news stories were written by Linda Green, Norm Holy, Sarah Vaughn, and Wes Davis. Norm Holy produced our feature. Rebecca Mueller edited the script. Bridget Dunklau and Andrew Brown compiled our events calendar. Our engineer is Kirsten Payton. Producer is Rebecca Mueller. Executive producer is Wes Martin. For WFHB, I'm David Lyman. And I'm Jan Walker. Join us Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. before Democracy Now! and on Fridays at 5 p.m. before Kite Line for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news. Until then, EcoReport encourages you to take direct action to defend the Earth. You've been listening to the EcoReport. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. 
available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. EcoReport is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the Earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the EcoReport staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.